Hey, I gotta tell you guys about something, and I'm really excited to talk about this because I got a brand new front door lock. And it's not just any lock, it's a Eufy video lock. You might be thinking, what's the big deal, Chael? Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. First off, it is sleek. I mean, it's a very big deal. My father used to build houses. My whole life, I've known how important curb appeal is. I used to be in real estate. When I show somebody a house, the front door is the very first thing you see. This thing is a piece of art. It truly is, and it's such a good looking piece of hardware. It instantly upgraded my front door. I was excited about the functionality. So not only do I get an instant makeover with a piece of art, you now have a different level of protection. It's a smart lock. It's got a 2K camera with audio and doorbell all in one. Most competitors are either just a camera or a smart lock. The Eufy Video Lock has both plus a doorbell and it can all be controlled via an app, which makes things so convenient. I hate when I hear the doorbell ring and I'm comfortable inside. I gotta get up, go to the door, just to find out it's a delivery man who dropped the package and is already long gone. The Eufy Video Lock now allows me to avoid all of that. I can just peek at the app. I can even talk to him or hear him talk back to me. Also, my wife and I travel a lot. It's an added level of security at my front door and it makes me feel a little bit more at ease. It was very easy to install. No, there are no monthly fees for the security video storage. The battery is rechargeable and each charge lasts about four months. The Eufy Lock is fantastic and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. Do that by going to Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you gain complete control of your door. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Well, we're one week away from another UFC pay-per-view event, and later on the show, I'll talk about what next week's title rematch between Sterling and Yawn, plus all the controversy surrounding it's going to look like. Plus, I heard an interesting take on Valentina Shevchenko. And an MMA legend is likely calling it quits. All of that coming up later in the show. But let's begin with this. Are you guys familiar with the term quarterly earnings calls? Perfectly normal in the equities market. Anything on the S&P, anything in the Fortune 500, anything on the NASDAQ is required to have a quarterly call. Marshall Anu does the same thing. They just do it every single week and they do it publicly. The same as Amazon or Apple the same as Tesla and Microsoft, the same as they do, but you got to know specifically when it is and you got to call in, you got to register. Marshall Anu will let you do through something called Twitter Spaces. If you know what that is, you push a button and basically the whole community, which on yesterday's call was about a thousand people, your phone turns into a walkie talkie. You can hear everything they're saying, all these that you just all get connected. Now it's very important for the same reason that I seek out and I fill in the info and I type who I'm with so I can hear what Elon Musk has to say four times a year, the same reason that I do that, it's the same reason that I listen to Marshall Anu. There has been resistance on Marshall Anu because people within the Marshall Anu community would like for the price of the coin to go up. 
I can't dumb myself down enough to have a conversation. Of course you want it to go up. It's no different than if you owned an equities, if you owned a piece of real estate, if you had a shiny trinket known as gold. You, of course, wanted to go up, but one of the importance is getting on these calls, and the reason that I absolutely never miss is I want to hear what the plan and strategy is to bring attention. Money follows attention. It's a very basic concept. And you can talk to people until you're blue in the face, and I'm sure that you have. You've probably met somebody who's got a few bucks in his pocket, and you kind of think, man, I'd, I'd like to do what that guy did. And if you go and you corner him, you buy him a cup of coffee, and you go and pick his brain, he's one of two kinds of people. He's either a guy that did what's called creating a wave, and that's where the Tim Cooks come in. That's where the Elon Musk and the Jeff Bezos come in. They create a wave. But everybody else that you meet that's got some jing-jang in your pocket and you wish that you knew their secret, rode the wave. There's really no two other things you have to do. If you create the wave, you've only got to do it one time. If you're a wave rider, and I would fall into that category. I don't see an embarrassment by it. But if you're a wave rider like me, you're always looking for the next wave. You're always looking, your ears to the grindstone, what's coming hot. Is that going to be single family units? Is that going to be equities? Is that going to be in the crypto markets? You're always looking and you're jumping from one to the next. So you don't get you don't get the same kind of rest as the guys that create those waves do and they only have to do it one time. But this is still the truth. So I like to get on with Marshall Anu to figure out you guys are red hot everywhere I go. I keep hearing about you. What is the plan now? Because if you rest, it does not matter what you are. If you rest and somebody else goes to work and they get the attention, they get the money. Those words might as well be synonymous when it comes in the world of investing. Wherever attention goes is where the money's going. So I sit in on this call. Now, I told you guys about it from last week because we got a hour. I'm supposed to be on this call. These calls are supposed to, supposed to last 20 minutes, but sometimes we go long because we're having a good time and we will go to 30 minutes. Okay. I sat for an hour and 40 minutes a week ago and listened to Bryce Mitchell cut a promo. I swear to goodness, if the presidential election was tonight, I am probably going to write Bryce Mitchell's name in. This dude is not what I thought he was. He was super clever. He was funny. And he does it with that, ah, shucks, Southern accent that he used. It's just wonderful. I came and told you guys about it, but I got that same experience yesterday. And guess who we had on? Kai Car France. Now, there is nothing about Kai Car France for me that's amiss. I'm going to say Kai Car France as many times as I can. I'm going to say Kai Car France in this rant to you guys as many times as you can. You want to know why? I like to say Kai Car France. I don't know if his first name is Kai and then it's like Car with a, with a hyphen like George St. Pierre and then Francis his last name. I don't even know. I just know saying Kai Car France is cool. And if you think that I'm being silly about that, guys, it's a real thing. Some of the biggest stars in the world operate on what's called a stage name. Arnold Schwarzenegger, by example, was actually born Arnold Schwarzenegger. But when he left Austria and he got to Hollywood, the first thing that anybody knew anything about the entertainment told him he needs to do, lose the last name Schwarzenegger. They said, nobody can say it. Nobody's going to like it. You're going to sound foreign, which isn't going to sell to a North American audience. Even if you make it to a marquee, which you never will, you can't fit Schwarzenegger on a billboard. They told him this. And Arnold, who was broke and very impressionable and was certainly willing to please, that was one thing he just wanted to give. He was proud of it. He was really proud of his name. I think you guys can relate to that. And a number of people who went on to have a level of success, most nowhere near Arnold Schwarzenegger, but they do say the same thing. Hulk Hogan, whose real name is Terry Bolia, really does wish to this day that Terry Bolia was a household name 
as opposed to Hulk Hogan, which was his stage name. A lot of guys can relate to that. Pro wrestling is a fine example, as a matter of fact. Most of those guys are not named what you think their name, and then when they retire, they wish that they would have built their name. Okay, fine. I'm only bringing to you the mere fact that Kai Car France is really fun to say, that Kai Car France is written out beautiful. These things matter in the world of marketing, which you would think is a silly thing. There is nothing silly about anything when you are in the competitive world of viewership. So let me tell you about the last five months of this young man's life. He beats a former world champion at Cody Garbrandt, who I believe will someday be into the Hall of Fame. This is all in the last... He stops a former world champion inside of five minutes. He then goes into a fight with the number two ranked guy in the world. Now, I don't know that I've ever agreed that Ashcroft should be the number two ranked guy in the world. I don't know that I personally agree what's going on at 125 pounds to just volley the ball back and forth between Figueredo and Moreno. As great as those guys are, and I would never pretend otherwise, they've competed so damn many times, I think that Ashcroft should have been the number one contender. That's my own personal opinion. I don't get that. That's an opinion. Officially, he's ranked number two, which comes back to Kaikar France. You get Kaikar France, who's young, who's handsome, who's extremely well-spoken, who's from the hottest gym in the world right now, City Kickboxing. Are you guys aware of this? Takes out the former world champion by stoppage, which in our sport is uh, supposed to mean some different level of victory. Then he takes out the number two guy. He's got to be fighting for a world championship. Oh, should I mention the sitting reigning world champion who is Figueredo within the last 24 hours called out Kaikar France publicly. He publicly stated his case for why he should not be in there with Moreno for a fourth time. And I don't really, that whole thing got a little bit sensitive. I mean, those guys got a little bit sensitive enough that I'm going to leap right over. And I don't want to get into the point, but I will put myself in the school. I don't want to see those guys fight anymore. And I seem to be by myself. I've lobbied you guys. Tell me what you think. And you guys say, Chael, I, I don't see it your way. I want to see those guys fight for a thousand and fifty times. I just don't want to see that fight. Selfishly, I get a big fan too, but they, they've done it enough times. There were no fun leading into it. There was no fun at the press conference. There was no fun at the weigh-ins. There was no fun leading up to it. The one time that Moreno tries to come and have a little fun, it hurts Figueredo's part. Now here we are blowing up on a topic that I'm not even comfortable discussing, and I'm pretty good with rhetorical skills. Enough. Figueredo has earned the right as the champion to have an opinion on who his next opponent is. Not to mention, you can't pull that schoolyard antic where you're scared to do it. You can't pull that when he's already done it 952 times. He's maybe bored. He's maybe uninterested. He's not scared. So now what do you do? Figueredo, who's the champion who's earned the right, we all agree to that, says he should be fighting Kaikar France. I am going to influence both of my listeners. We want to see Kai Car France. Then I happen to have a chance to speak with Kai Car France. Could not have been a more likable guy to a fault. It's to a fault. And I asked him flat out on this call in front of everybody, and it wasn't meant to be a gotcha moment. This was the first time I met Kai Car France. I'm like you guys. I feel like I know him. I've talked about him. I've read about him. I know people that know him. I've seen his fight, but I'm, I've never got to say hello to him before. So I just asked him flat out, what is the holdup here? And he said, man, it's not with me. He said, I'm completely in. I thought beating Garbrandt was going to give me my shot. I found out it wasn't fine. Th they had an idea that I fight Askarf, who just happens to be ranked number two in the world. I go and do that. And now I'm hoping that it's a champion. Oh, and by the way, the champion happened to call me out. So things are in a pretty good spot. Now, I don't want him to be a gentleman. I don't want him to be quite as nice as he is. I want him to demand that fight. And you got to tie City Kickboxing in with it. 
because Volkanovsky has a big voice. Possibly the biggest voice in our whole sport right now. That's arguable, but it is possibly Israel Adesanya. His own teammates, his own brothers, he sees every day, man. If they go and bang a drum, they can reach a lot of people. And I feel as though that should be done for Kai Carfer. I think he's earned it. The history of this sport says if you fight for, if you beat a former world champion, you get a fight for a world championship. That is not a law. That is not even a, a policy. That is the history of the sport, though. If you defeat a former champion, you get to fight for a championship. Then we're supposed to look at today's rankings. Now, the, today's rankings, I've talked to you until I'm blue in the face. There's two sets. You've got the top 10 list, number 8, number 9, number 10. doesn't make any bit of difference. Then you've got the top 5. Anybody in circulation in the top 5 can go and fight for a world title at any time. And nobody complains. And a lot of times you got to do you got to go to the number four guy. And you go, how do you overlook number three and over two? You end up in a spot like Colby Covington, who's the clear number one contender, but he's already had the opportunity. It's one of those spots you end up like Robert Whitaker, where he is the clear number one contender to the point that Robert Whitaker just beat the guy that's going to fight for the belt, but Whitaker doesn't get to do it because he did it twice. You, you guys understand this. What do we got to do to get Kai Carr that opportunity? First off, he deserves it. I will just share with you that I visited with him and he could not have been more pleasant. I think that that matters to you guys. If you want something good to happen, you don't want it to happen to a jerk. This guy does not qualify as a jerk. He was a gentleman to the highest degree, but he's too polite. He's not going to demand it. It will be the opposite. Kaikar is so new. He's so young within the sport. He's 29 years old. He's a new father, husband, just living his life, doing everything right. He's surrounded by superstars. To be a world champion is a normal thing within the gym of city kickboxing. You got Dan Hooker over here. Right? I mean, that, that gym's got 12 guys. I don't know if you're aware of that. They have 12 people within city kickboxing signed to the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And that statistic is 14 months old. They could be 15, 16 by now. The point that I'm making, sometimes when you get so close to the trees, you don't see the forest. Sometimes when you're thinking, who do I need to go to get my message out? Sometimes that's the dude that you're putting your shin pods on next to. Sometimes it's the guy that you're complaining to as you're wrapping your hands and putting your gloves on. They have such incredible success out there. Speaking of which, I asked Kai Carr about it. I said, by the way, you guys are doing something different, but I've been in the sport my entire life. This is exactly what I said to him. I said, I've been in the sport my entire life. If I was to guess your training regimen... It looks something like this. You work out a couple of times a day, one in the morning, get a rest in the afternoon, go back in the evening, and you do that six days a week. If I'm wrong, you do that five days a week. Tell, tell me where the glitch is. Tell me what you're doing that isn't the same recipe everybody else. And he only had one correction. He said, as a matter of fact, our gym goes seven days a week. He did not specify to say we all go in and train seven days a week. He did not. But he said they have the opportunity to, that there is no day that that gym's closed. So he did lead me to the conclusion to believe that he doesn't take a day off. If I was to just take him at his word, I'm choosing my interpretation of that with the point being he can take whatever day off he wants. The Russians that win more Olympic medals than anybody take Wednesday off. Just by example, in North America, we generally take Sunday off, but it's very important that you have a break within the week. However, that's usually built in and forced into the gym because that might not sound interesting to you, but the mere fact that that gym is offering classes that somebody comes in and open that, somebody turns the heat on, somebody turns the radio on, somebody mops those maps, somebody has those showers ready with a towel when you come out, which is the only thing that you have to look forward to if you're living a fighter's lifestyle, seven days a week. Then somebody gets credit for that. I imagine that somebody is Eugene Berriman, but he must have put a very good team around him because Eugene Berriman, that's the head coach. Coach Berriman, has, he's in everybody's corner. 
He's got to be traveling three and four and five times a week. And Kaikar spoke to me a little bit about strategy. Strategy of the gym. When a member of City Kickboxing gets put on a card, they try to get multiple people onto that same card. Now, that's just good common sense so that everybody can focus. There's a process called peaking that you've probably been spoken to to the point of nausea, but it also comes down to travel issues. It comes down to nutrition issues. It does come in, when are you doing your sprints? And sprints don't literally mean that you run as hard as you can. You can do a sprint by fighting. It's a conditioning thing where you get your heart rate in one zone, you move it to another zone, then you go on a sprint, your chest is popping out. It's one of these things. And if your teammates are doing the same thing, they're not just lugging in because you know they owed you because you did it for them. It could be a big deal. Part of the strategy, because when I talked to this young man, Kai Car France, he did not have a specific thing. Here's what we do that nobody else. Now, he talked about stuff they do for working out. He talked about road work. He, he talked about moving the weights around. He talked about getting in the pool. A lot of aquatics work. Everything he said is what everybody else does. But this little gym in New Zealand is taking over the world of MMA. There's something special going on here. There's something special. I believe that Kai Car France should be fighting for a world championship. I know that Kai Car France is down to three. And I think Figueredo, who has chosen Kai Car, I think Figueredo's got a, a bigger decision in this than any of us. My opinion is based on malice. I've already seen it. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like the press conference. Screw you, Chael. What's that got to do with who gets to fight for a title? But we are down to three. You either put Moreno in there or you go with Kai Car. I'm asking you guys. Telling you he was a gentleman. I'm promising you'll like him. I assure you it's fun to say Kai Car France. How would you like to say Kai Car France, world champion? So coming up next, I'll talk about another flyweight. And since it's WrestleMania weekend, I'll put a professional wrestling spin on it. That's in a moment, but first, here's a quick word about today's sponsor. Do you identify as crypto curious? If you've thought about entering the world of cryptocurrency but felt a little bit overwhelmed, our friends at Coinbase make learning to buy and sell very simple. I've been studying and investing in crypto for quite some time now and I understand it might feel like an exclusive club, but let me put your mind at ease, cause it's not. Coinbase believes that everyone, everywhere, should be able to get into the door. Whether you've been trading for years or if you're just getting started, Coinbase can help. Coinbase offers a trusted and easy to use platform where you can buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. They also offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources, and a mobile app so you can trade securely and monitor your crypto all in one place. Millions of people in over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. Whether you're looking to diversify or just getting started or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, you can start today with Coinbase. Sign up at coinbase.com slash for $10 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only. So listen to Uncle Chael and make sure you sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash chael. Josh Thompson was doing a piece. He was talking about Valentin Shevchenko. And Josh said that she should consider turning heel. Interesting. Let's take a look at that. Now, that's a vernacular. What Josh is talking about is you have the face and you have the heel. Meaning you have the good guy and you have the bad guy. 
If you're the heel, you're the bad guy. You're the one that is filling up an arena because they want to boo you. It doesn't mean they don't like you, contrary to popular opinion. It means that they have an emotion for you and it happens to be negative. And that is the number one thing that you most evoke. If you want to sell any tickets, you have to have an emotion from the audience. People don't usually know what that means. Well, I got to make them cry. Sure. Sure. If you're good enough at your craft and you can put a whole room full of people in tears, you go ahead and have at them. But on a simpler term, what it means is they either care or they don't. They like you or they don't like you. If they are indifferent, you are of no monetary value. If the people don't care about your fight, and I bait fighters all the time, when, when they ask you, who do you want to fight next? Say anything in the world, anything except for I don't care. I don't care is a message that I am so brave and I am so willing. I will take on anybody at random. That's the message. But it's not what you said. You said you don't care. If you don't care, it's impossible for me to care. So Josh is talking about Valentina going heel. Now, let's discuss why Josh is saying that. It's very clear why he's saying that. Valentina Shevchenko might be the single greatest talent this sport has ever seen. That is very possibly the correct answer. In this sport, you there's three realms that you can fight in. You've got to be good at two of them. Nobody has to be great at all three of them. And it's a very hard one to test because you're on your feet, you're on your back, or you're on top. If you're good at two of them, then you get to control whether you're on your back or you're on top. If you don't control that, you therefore, by proxy, have not mastered that skill. You're right. So it's a, it's a real trick one. But anybody that we've seen that's gotten the absolute closest is Valentin Shevchenko. Anybody who has been absolutely everywhere that a fight can go and looked spectacular, not just survived, not just good enough. And we have champions within this sport sitting and reigning today on some people's Mount Rushmore, inducted into the Hall of Fame, who in certain areas of fighting were good enough. They avoided those spots, and when they got forced into them, they were good enough to protect themselves. That's not a knock. Shevchenko just hasn't shown that. She is exemplary everywhere she's been. But she's not a household name. She doesn't draw a whole bunch. Nobody is clamoring for her next fight. So the basic rule in marketing is if you're the face and you're not getting over, which means the crowd isn't filling up to see you, people aren't dying to buy your merchandise, they're not marking on their calendar when next they're not dressing up as you for Halloween, they dressed up as a UFC fighter for Halloween and it wasn't you. If you're a face, then you go heel. It's your only other option, you've got two. You're liked or you're not liked, you're cheered or you're booed. So this is where Josh is coming from. He's saying that she should consider going heel. Now, I've had that same thought for her, because she does come off as very likable and very charming, and she has said some stuff over time. You gotta look close to see it, but when you do look at it, you go, wait a minute, that, she's not she's not quite so nice. I don't know where it lies. I don't know if they just caught her at bad moods. I don't know if there was an interpretation issue. I don't know if it was just me and the way that I read it, but I have seen a couple of things from her that would not go into the category of face. So for Josh to suggest somebody as good as her that's going to be around as long as her, that's going to be in feature bouts, title bouts, because she's bringing the damn strap, she needs to do something a little bit different. This is where Josh is coming from. Now, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with him, but only on the byproduct that there's two options and we've exhausted one. We've exhausted the Susie Homemaker and it didn't work. So we 
have to go over here. The problem that I run into is if you go over here and now you become somebody you're not, I mean, let's say she really is a jerk, that would be compelling. She could put out a whole whole bunch of good information. If she's playing a jerk, then it's going to be very limited. She's got to pick her battles. The biggest problem with being the heel, heel is you got to be able to take the booze. And not very many human beings can do that. They get too into, what does a stranger at the supermarket say? What does the person that pulls up to them in the traffic light do? Do they smile and wave or do they, they scowl and look away? What does the stranger on social media put into your direct message box? There's just not a lot of people that can be, the, they can't take the booze. Let's say she can. Let's say she's going to do whatever is best for business and she's ready to start selling out arenas and she wants to hear some damn noise in there. Let's say, does it work? I mean, that's been tested from the beginning of time. They even took the great Hulk Hogan and made him a heel at one point. It was an awkward moment. They took Sergeant Slaughter and had him turn against the country where on a personal note he couldn't live his life anymore and had to come back and do an interview and say, my God, that was all an act and Vince McMahon put me up to it and none of it's true and I love the US of A. It was a real thing. That wasn't for the character. That was a dude playing a character who no longer could walk down that road. I don't know if it solves the problem for Valentina. I think the number one thing that Valentina's got is she doesn't have an opponent. She doesn't have an opponent because she's so damn good. Not to mention is she's so good, she's getting better. Valentina Shevchenko was the champion of the world that we all stood back in awe of the night she fought Jessica I and outdid herself three to one. The night that Valentina Shevchenko fought Jessica I, the night that she went to the ground and spun onto an armbar, which Evil Eye, God bless her, never tapped. I have the foggiest idea. I'd have been long gone in that armbar. But the mere fact that she had that skill, the mere fact that she showed that skill, she then somewhere along the way ends up a fight with a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and this is going to be the one to beat her. Because Valentina Shevchenko had never lost a fight, but she did lose a round in a fight, or at least a moment of a fight, and she lost it because she took on a superior grappler who had took her down, and people were betting their money. All because of one thing that they saw, but everybody's got a kryptonite, and hers is going to be the black belt in jiu-jitsu. So Shevchenko reads that, gets motivated by it, decides to take the fight for its entirety to the ground, her decision, and beats the holy heck out of the opponent. So Shevchenko just keeps on getting better. It's really hard to make believe that there's anybody as good as her, right? Like for her to lose a fight, timeout. She's got to lose a round before she's going to lose a round, timeout. She's got to lose a sequence. We have to be able to see something that fight experts can get in a room with a protege that's got some really good skills that we can study and start to come up with something known as a game plan. Otherwise, it's, it's hard to believe. It's too hard to believe. That's not to say that it couldn't happen, but you're not going to know until after it's done. When you're talking about moving the needle, which Josh Thompson is directly talking about here, you're talking about anticipation, not what happened when it over. No, whew, boy, that sure was great. Whoa, that was a lot better than I would thought it'd be. It's fully anticipation. It could be a complete dud when it happens. How did you feel before the fight? That is the absolute key ingredient to the business of the fight. Okay. If she was to go heel, if that's a character that's truly within her, if it's a John Jones type where there's a bad guy just wanting to come through and is doing the best to conceal 
then she could be real natural and she could have some fun. She might be able to get more attention and more headlines. Until we have somebody who can captivate the world. See, it's very hard to go heal means that you're currently face. You only got two options. There's no third option. There's no in between. So for her to go heal would mean that she's currently face. I would agree with that. But for you to be face, you have to have a heel. Do you see the difference? Everybody that she's fought the same way as she wants everybody to like her, complete with a smile and a dance at the end of the night, everybody she's fought wanted that same moment. They've wanted to give the same smile and do the same dance. That's where it runs into a problem. It's the Demetrius Johnson problem. Nobody was nicer than Demetrius. He was a killer fighter. He treated everybody really nice. He had a handsome and good smile. And everybody that tried to sit in the car opposite him tried to out-nice him, which you were never going to do. You were always going to be the bad guy versus Demetrius. You were always going to be the one booed. You didn't have to do a single thing wrong. You didn't have to try to get it. You for sure were not going to be more popular nice guy than the sitting champion Demetrius Johnson. It just never worked until Henry Cejudo comes along and decides he's going to put a finger in your chest. Now that you have an established heel, you have an established face. I'm not saying that Josh Thompson is wrong. Josh Thompson's got a 50% chance to be right or wrong as soon as he touches on the topic because there's only a good guy and a bad guy. There is no other option. The pie doesn't get cut in eight slices. It gets cut in half. So for him to suggest that she go heel, I'm all for it. I'm all for anything different out of Valentina. I'm all for anything that could shake up a division. And if it doesn't work and you got to have your Sergeant Slaughter moment and run the whole thing back, fine. We can do that too. That could be that could be tomorrow's headline. I just think in that division that is lacking contenders, not based on skill sets, discrepancy of skills. There is a discrepancy. The bullet is number one by a lot. But it's a discrepancy of personalities. You have a really liked champion with a gold belt and a main event spot because it's a title fight and she's bringing it. I would want first to see somebody be her opposite. Let's see just how good of a person she is. And the only way we can see if somebody's a face is if she's got a nemesis. And again, nobody wants to go over into the heel role because these fake tough guys can't take the boobs. So moving back over to the men's side, there's a huge bantamweight title fight next week, and I think it's time we start paying attention to it. I was busy with Ian Heinish yesterday, and Ian and I are forming quite a friendship. We're, we're, we're talking every week, and the topic came up yesterday. It had to do with Aljo and Jan. So just to remind you guys, okay, revisionist history, but just in case you happen to be a new fan, they go fight for the world championship, which happened to be Jan's. Jan cheats. He knees Sterling when he's down. When I say the word cheat, that implies a lot. And I'm not looking to put Jan down. Cheating implies when we speak of it in intent. We all want to be 
judged on our intent, never on our actions. But we always judge others by their actions as opposed to their intent. So that's a really mean word that I throw out, but it wasn't Chael's word, it was the referee's. If the referee deems that it was intentional, he will then deem that it was illegal. If he makes that assertion, he can then disqualify you for the action. So it's very relevant, as mean as the word may be by me, that Jan was called for cheating. The same exact action, if the referee deemed unintentional, the referee did not have to do anything for. The referee had an option to give a warning. The, uh, the referee had a little bit of latitude to just separate things and reconvene as though it never happened again. Now, don't you do that again. In, in an average MMA fight, I don't know what the, what the statistic is, but I will bet you that there is one foul per fight. That might strike you as a little bit high. But if you know how many times in a, a guy grabs a guy's uniform, which is against the rules, the guy grabs the cage, which happens all the time, referees catch it all the time and do absolutely nothing about it. It's one of those things within our sport that people have just decided, right, they're going to legislate from the bench. The legislative bodies in this sport have said that grabbing the cage is against the rules, but we will have a referee in the place of judgment to trump those rules on the spot. We see it all the time. It's just very common. Lots of things like this happen. Somebody's finger goes into somebody's eye. Well, it was unintentional and sure they should have had their hands closed. It's just one of these things that if you broke it down real carefully, you're going to see a lot of violations in every single fight. Not all of them get called. The referee in the fight, very important how the fight's going. Everything gets judged as a body as opposed to how it's supposed to be judged, which is within the exact moment. Sterling whips Yawn. Yawn starts to turn the tide, and he starts putting a whipping on Sterling. Now, at this point, Sterling is down. Yawn stands up, grabs Aljo's head, knees him right in the face. Referee steps in. What's he going to do? If the referee does what's right, which is to call that a violation, which takes one point away, the ball now goes into Sterling's camp, of can you continue? If you cannot continue and a fight is stopped on an illegal technique, a disqualification will take place. This is not the WWE, where the only way to win is by submission or pinfall. You guys ever see that back, back in the olden day? There's something in wrestling known as a countout or even a disqualification. But if you're in a championship match, if you do not have a submission or a pinfall, even if you win, the belt cannot change hands. It just gets really weird. It's like no part of that is true within our sport. There's actually four ways to win within our sport. You can get a decision, which is what every fighter plans for, to make sure that he's in shape. That would be a fighter's worst case scenario, meaning he's got to work the absolute longest for his money. You could get what's known as a submission. You could knock the opponent out, or number four that nobody ever wants to talk about for some reason, which is called a disqualification. Those are your four ways to win a fight. And none has a greater value. That is just a phenomenon created by a narrative of the media. Why well, want to go and knock the guy out? What, did somebody tell you that was better than putting him in an armbar? Did somebody tell you that an armbar pays more than going to a referee's decision? Like, what part of it is going to affect your ranking? What part of it is going to affect your applause? What part? It's just one of those things, right? And there is a difference. We all know that there's a difference. But to be fairness, you've got a fourth way to win, which is disqualification. So once Yawn hits Aljo, the referee in that moment didn't know what to do. 
and he knew it was illegal, and he knew that he had to call it. He just knew if he called it, because the championship was up, the championship was going to change hands, and I don't believe there's a time in this sport where that has happened before. So the referee goes and he seeks help. Instead of making the call in the moment, he goes over and he seeks help, and he talks to the commission. He might have talked to another referee. I'd have to go back to see what all the conversations was about. But in hindsight, he's leaving Sterling, who needs medical attention, who we have all believe has been concussed and needs to get to the back. He's leaving him out there, and then he's going to turn the question over to him. I mean, in all fairness, the referee did nothing wrong. I'm not questioning him. I just question that rule. Why would it ever be put to the fighter? Why would the fighter ever have a say in whether he should be able to go on or not? That same exact scenario happened to Anthony Smith against John Jones, and Anthony Smith was a word away from being a millionaire, which is what would have been a rematch. He was a word away from victory. He was a word away from being a world champion. To this day, Anthony Smith does not regret it. I begrudge the fact that Anthony was even asked. If you have been so egregiously fouled to the point that we only got a couple of rules, don't bite the guy and don't kick the son bitch when he's down. Now you're talking about it going to the head where you've got concussion and all sorts of other things at play. And we're going to go get that guy's opinion? Why why, why would I want his opinion? I have a license from the same agency and my heartbeat isn't up. I have the same exact agency licensed me to be in here and I'm not bleeding. I'm not three and four rounds in. I don't have a high stress. My livelihood is not affected. It would seem that I'm the one with the clear decision and I wouldn't need to ask some lowly cage fighter half awake what he thinks, right? I never, when I was growing up, my parents, you might've had parents like this. Certainly you've seen it somewhere in your life where the kid will do something wrong and then the teacher the teacher wants to ask him, now what do you think that we should do? My dad never asked me what he thought we should do. My father had it figured out. My dad already knew how this one was going to end. But now you have referees that are in there trying to consult a, a, an athlete. I begrudge that. I don't think that it's right. That was a very clear call. That was illegal. It's a disqualification. Whatever ramifications happen after that, in that case, a switching of the belt, has nothing to do with one another. But people continue to relive this. And Ian Heinish and I were speaking about that. The question was posed to us. Should Jan have been disqualified or was Sterling playing it up? You guys have heard that. You guys for sure have heard that exact topic. You've probably had conversations. You've probably waited on your opinion. Let me make this perfectly clear for you guys. Those two terms are not mutually exclusive. They both can be true. It was illegal by Jan, and Sterling played it up. What's wrong with that? What would possibly be wrong in that? I mean, how do you judge a guy? How do you judge a guy that's half naked on television? He's been fouled. He does not want to continue. And just because the fight was starting to go against him, come on, that break that he got, he was fully charged up. That has nothing to do with anything. All the same, nobody wants the fight to continue. Peter Yawn doesn't want the fight to continue. He threw the knee, hoping to hurt Sterling, hoping to end the fight. Both of them want to get out of there. Every fighter wants to be done. Right, you guys can relate. Whatever you do for a living, whatever you did today, you showed up and hopefully you did a really good job today, but that's your second biggest concern. Your number one concern every single day, even in front of doing a great job, your number one concern is that you have a job to come to tomorrow. That's the number one most important thing. And any job in this sport is no different. Every time that you make that walk, your music hits those speakers and you put that mouthpiece in, the number one thing that you want is that you have a fight to come back to down the road. And you want that over and over and over again. And eventually one day you're not done with the sport. You find out the sport's done with you. And that's what we call a career. 
That's just the way that it goes. So I just want to clear that up because Ian Heinish and I had, had a very good conversation. We had about a thousand people listening in who all unanimously agreed with us. They just never looked at it from that perspective. Yes, Aljo played it up. Aljo was telling a story. The story is, I'm hurt. Later on, he found a doctor who considered that he was concussed. So the story that he was attempting to tell, he did a very good job of. And Peter Yon also couldn't do that knee. I don't like the, the fact that we're calling him cheating. He did not calculate everything. Okay, what, what points are down? You got one, two, I'm grabbing the knee. No, he just did the technique. Here's a head, here's my knee, pull them together. I understand the whole thing, but the conclusion still had to be the same, which is a disqualification. You cannot start overlooking rules in this sport, not in this one. I don't see sports going in the NBA. You're not allowed to grab a guy's jersey. I don't ever see a referee catch somebody holding a jersey and not call it. Every single sport, it doesn't matter if you've got a thousand rules or you've got three. Don't bite the guy. Don't poke his eyes. Don't kick the son bitch when he's down. I mean, we don't have very many rules. And when I do see in our sports, some of the little ones go, oh, well, that's not a big one. Not a big one according to who? The ABC will decide at their annual meetings what rules matter. Your job is to enforce them. I think that's a far bigger topic. Far bigger topic and a far bigger problem. And I am not, once I make it clear, I'm not saying the referee did it right. The referee did it right. It shouldn't have been that way. It should not be a fighter gets fouled, and then you go out and you ask him, guys, first ever UFC summit they ever held. It's 2008. If I'm wrong, it was 2009. All sorts of classes. Dana flies everybody in from all over. It takes a whole day of travel. We got guys coming in from Germany. We got them coming in from Cuba. We got them coming in from Russia. I only had to go about two hours from Portland, but you get the point. You have a whole day of travel. You will then start classes, and it's just like you're back in college. From 9 to 10 a.m., you're here. From 10 a.m., you're going to take lunch from noon to 1. Different speakers would come and talk to us about everything. Performance-enhancing drugs, talk to you about nutrition, talked about taxes, talked about promotion. It was a whole thing. We had an entire tech department set up in the back to set every fighter before this thing up with something known as Twitter and something that could get you a blue check mark. We didn't even know what that was. Sharing with you what went on at this event, but of this event that was three days, Dana only walked in the room personally and spoke one time. And I remember it perfectly clear because I knew when he came in and he went to all this expense to put this on, whatever he's about to say is one thing that freaking matters. At this period of time of 2009-ish, there was a big thing going around our sport that if a fighter was ever fouled and the fighter was asked, can you continue? that the fighter had to say yes, that that was not truly an option, that that was a formality. This was a narrative, and this was going around everywhere. And people in the media were even supporting, of course they have to go on, or the UFC will punish them. It will show a lack of heart. It will show a lack of grit. That was a real belief, and Dana came in the room to clear that up, and he said, that is not true. I do not ex ever expect you to go on when you've been fouled. And then he qualified his statement with the statistic. He said, as a matter of fact, we have only had one athlete ever be fouled and go on to win the fight. Every other athlete who has ever worked at the deficit of putting up with an illegal move of his opponent has lost. I do not ever expect you to answer that question by the referee any other way than the truth. Tell him if you can go on or if you can't. I remember I remember because of the qualification that Dana put on it. And I only bring that to you as I, I do think people have given Aljo a very hard time. I think that Aljo did everything right. 
Aljo's got one goal when he gets in there, which is to follow the absolute number one rule, which is protect yourself at all times. You then have other goals of hoping to get victory. You have other goals of byproducts to hoping to get a championship or to come back or to return to a main event or to impress the crowd. Or get... There's nothing wrong with that. And if you think that you've watched that tape and you've determined that Aljo was playing it up, and that's a very loose term that nobody fully knows what it means, good. We concede. You don't ever get to the point in the tape where you get to judge if Aljo played it up until you've seen that an illegal move was done to him. So just stop the tape right there. Was Aljo down? Was he fouled? If the answer is yes, you don't ever get to see the rest of the tape. Where how does he react to it and how does he play to the media within that moment? Stop the tape! To close out today's show, I want to talk about the legacy of a fighter I have great respect for. It appears Fabricio Verdum is done with MMA. And you know what? That sucks. That is terrible news. Now, Verdum is only stating what's abundantly obvious. Verdum, I believe, is 44 years old. He's accomplished everything you possibly could accomplish. Not to mention he hasn't fought for a period of time. Like, the mere fact that Verdum is done with fight, yeah, we know. But you still feel something different, right? When one of the heroes actually verbalizes it, when you can no longer cling to hope that he might be coming back because now he has made it, it's just one of those things, and that news sucks, I must tell you. Verdum was one guy, and you can't say, well, there's two or three, there's a category. He is the one guy where you do not know what's going to happen when he goes out there. You cannot count him out. He might be going down in a blaze of glory, and he might be going and capturing world championships. The first time, and Verdum had a very good career. He was a tall guy. He had the Noguera brothers vouching for him. He had a jiu-jitsu black belt. He had come through Abu Dhabi. like He had some real amateur accolades. But as far as the heavyweight division of the free format fighting systems goes, he was unproven, not to mention he wasn't that big. If you see Verdum, you don't think that he's a small guy, but he goes the higher part of 230. I don't think he's ever weighed in more than 245 pounds. He's weighed in the same thing that Kane weighed in. They were, they were just good heavyweights. That's as far as it went. He wasn't superimposing. It's one of the reasons that he could move so well on the ground. I've seen guys eat themselves to success, but I've also seen guys eat and bulk themselves to where they're turtles once they get in certain positions, which most particularly is on the ground, and that wasn't what Verdum did. Real heavy in jiu-jitsu and real heavy off of his back. Because he was so heavy and so confident off of his back, it made his striking three times better than it actually was. He would come out and throw absolutely everything. Everything had bad intentions. And that's not true with every fighter. Fighters will use range, they'll measure you, they'll test to where you're at, they'll pepper you. I mean, there's a lot of these words that you hear, but they're true. He'll make a fist and throw it in your direction. He's got absolutely no intent in hurting you. He's not intenting to crack an egg, let alone break your nose. He's trying to see where you're at. He's just trying to put his hand out there, see where you're at, offer you a distraction so that the next one can go and do some damage. Verdum never did that. He never peppered, he never tested anything because he didn't care if you took him down. You will see a number of great strikers come over into MMA and not be able to display their great striking because of the fear of the takedown. Not the takedown. I always got to talk to you guys about this. It's the threat. The threat of the takedown will change a striker. And we generally see that from taking a striker of this level down here. But every now and then you see it in reverse. 
you will see what Verdum does where because he does not care about that takedown, because he's taunting you at all times, come on in, grab my hips, let's go to the ground, let me show you what this Abu Dhabi black belt's all about. It sends his striking the other way. So now all of a sudden, no matter how good of a striker you are, you got your hands full with Verdum, and I should mention he's long. Verdum goes like six foot five, six foot four. So Verdum had one of these killer careers, and he busted onto everybody's radar. Now, I knew who he was because he had fought Junior Dos Santos. In fact, that fight did not even go Verdum's way. Verdum came out wild as I'm bragging about his wildness, but there's another side to the coin. Junior, who was a pretty unknown at that point, was able to land an uppercut. Verdum ends up fighting. Fast forward, he's in there with Fedor. Now, all Verdum is is a face on the poster who's going to be the next victim of Fedor. Period. That wasn't even like this hugely sought-after fight. It did really good numbers, but that was because the whole world just wanted to see Fedor. Fedor was like the Michael Jackson of MMA, I apologize, Michael Jordan, in that it didn't matter who the Bulls were playing in the 90s. They could sell any arena just to see Jordan's greatness, and Fedor had that. So when Fedor fights for Doom, I didn't even watch the fight. I put it on record. I was going to watch it later, but it wasn't one of these meaningful things. My phone was lighting. Oh, my God. Everybody was telling me that Verdum had beat Fedor. I couldn't believe it. When I was 10 years old, my parents went out. And they went out with some friends. When they came home that night, I had already seen the nightly news. And I knew that Mike Tyson was knocked out by Buster Douglas. And so when my parents came home, I told them that. I told Mike Tyson lost. He got knocked out in Tokyo. Didn't know the opponent's name. I just knew that this happened. Because I'd seen the news. My dad yelled at me. My dad said, this is why you don't get good grades in school. Because you can't pay attention. You, you can't listen when people are talking. I said, D I that was how unbelievable it was. My father thought that I had seen news and I was reporting it to him inaccurately. He could not accept what I was telling him was true. And we didn't have cable. We had three channels back then, two, six, and eight. We had to stay up for the next news just so I could show him so they would cover sports so that they would confirm what I said that Mike Tyson lost. That's what it was like when Verdun beat Fedor. As many people as were telling me this happened, as many times I had to take my phone and keep looking, I didn't believe a single one of them. There was no news report you could show me. There was no dot-com that you could go to. And back then, you had the Underground, of course, you had uh, Weekly, and you had Sherdog. These were the only three places you could go. And I went to all of them, and they all had it wrong. They all said that Fabricio Doom beat Fedor. As a matter of fact, he finished him. As a matter of fact, he triumphed from his back. I didn't believe it. Matt Lindland was at the event. And Matt Lindland told me that the building did not erupt and give Verdum this glorious moment. Matt said that the whole building went quiet because they couldn't believe what it was they saw. Do you guys remember Alexander Karelin? Does that name ring a bell? Alexander Karelin goes down as the greatest Greco wrestler of all time. He certainly goes down as the most respected and the most feared. He was a heavyweight Soviet. This was before the breakup and they just became Russia. He was representing the USSR. 88 Olympic champion, 92 Olympic champion, 96 Olympic champion, won every world championship in between. And he lost in 2000 in his final match. He announced it before he went out there. He said, I'm retiring after this match. He lost to an American named Rulon Gardner. I bring you that because Rulon did not get the reception that you would think. The building went quiet when Rulon beat Karelin. They could not believe what they just saw. 
And this wasn't even Verdum's crowning moment. This was just Verdum's first moment. He then goes into the UFC and he has to take on another terrifying guy named Cain Velasquez. And he's got to go to Mexico to do it. Now, Verdum is in the exact same spot. It's just he has absolutely no chance. There is no fool amongst us who would pick Fabricio Verdum. That simply is not going to happen. Not on their feet, not on their ground, not if this goes to decision. I mean, people were calling Kane cardio Kane back then. Kane's going to put those scary eyes on you. He's never going to stop. He's the Terminator. I mean, all of these different things, but they were true. And that may be the match, the only match that you have to see for me to improve my entire premise to you. That Fabricio Verdum, every moment he was in the octagon, was daring you to take him down. He was daring you. He Fabricio Verdum used to throw flying knees as a heavyweight, and everybody thought, oh, he's so athletic, he's so amazing. He was daring his opponent. Here's one of my legs. I'll give you one leg. Just grab it and I'll fall down. Nobody wanted to go to the ground with him. And people made that mistake many times. And Verdum's training with Kane. And Kane finally comes in, wraps that guillotine on him. And Verdum goes on to be the UFC world champion. I mean, it's one of these incredible stories. And I do feel like some of the best guys go through the cracks. I realize that you all know who Verdum is. I realize that you all appreciate Verdum. But maybe not enough. Maybe you don't truly appreciate him enough. Maybe you don't appreciate that the night he beat Fedor was the biggest upset in heavyweight history until the night that he beat Kane. Records are only made to be broken. Verdum set a record and the sunbitch came along and broke his own record. That's how good Fabricio Verdum is. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, Please be sure to give the show a follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and wherever else you're listening to the program. The UFC is off this weekend, but make sure you come back next week. I'm going to get you all set for UFC 273. I'll be here again on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.